Welcome to the podcast of Vertical Life Church. We hope and pray these messages encourage and challenge you to find your glorious purpose in Christ Jesus. For more information, visit us on the web at www.vlchurch.tv. Alrighty, good morning. How are we feeling? Awesome. What, ready for a word? So good. I uh, appreciate my wife's comments there during worship. It reminds me of uh, Psalm 149 that says, Let the praise of God be in their lips and a sharp sword in their hand. You know, worship is warfare. And so it, it's important that we don't just worship, but we live a life of worship. And, uh, and so I appreciate that word, and I think it's something we can take with us. Um, Scott uh, said in uh, the opening and the announcements, uh, we're, we're back from St. Louis Michigan, about an hour from here, it was, um, it was bittersweet. We missed everyone um, being with you, but uh, just as uh, was said earlier, wherever the Holy Spirit is, it's like being with family. And so we, uh, we just felt right at home. They, they loved on us, and we had an opportunity to minister, and it was a huge blessing into our hearts. And so I just uh, appreciate the opportunity to get to go and see uh, what God might do. Uh, wherever he leads. And so uh, it's an awesome, awesome thing. We're going to finish up our series today on fanning the flame of personal revival. And so I don't know if you have enjoyed this series, but this is a series that doesn't stop. This continues on every day for the rest of your life. This isn't where we're ending this subject and we're going to start something new next week. Okay, no, revival is an everyday every minute, every second decision. It's up to us on whether or not revival comes and how long it stays. And so this journey that we've been taking over the last six weeks has really just been an effort to encourage us to continue to seek not just revival, but seek the fire of God in our lives so that we each and every day wake up on purpose, purpose to shine bright for Jesus Christ. And, and so th- this is the encouragement. And so just to summarize, in week one, we talked about getting lit. This is, this is when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and the baptism of the Spirit, the fire of God comes upon you so you can do the very thing God created you to be, and that's to be a witness for Jesus Christ. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And so we need to seek them, the baptism of the Spirit. Week two, we talked about the magic wood, the very foundation that will keep the fire burning uh, and be the foundation of any fire that we want to build. It's the magic wood. It is the very word of God. It's the foundation of everything we believe. I heard uh, a pastor once say that the foundation of our faith isn't the word of God. It's Jesus. And what he means by that is that our understanding of the word can change, but Jesus is always the same. Right? Jesus is always in. The problem I have with that is that there are a lot of different Jesuses in the world. There are a lot of different understandings of who Jesus is. So how do we know we're worshiping the right Jesus? We learn from his word. In first, uh, 2 Corinthians 15, I believe, he says that Jesus died and rose again according to the scriptures, not our opinion. So the word of God is the foundation because it tells us about the Jesus who saved our soul. And so week three, we talked about fanning that intimacy with God. The oxygen that fuels the flame of revival in your life is that personal one-on-one time with God in those times of intimate prayer. 
where you're getting alone with the Lord, you're shutting the door, getting rid of all the distraction, and it's just you and the Lord in a precious, sweet, intimate moment. Week four, we talked about getting out of our spiritual shells. A lot of Christians today like to be spiritual introverts. It's me and Jesus, and I don't need anybody else. But God put us in a family. He put us in a body called the church. And so in order to fulfill what he's called us to do, to become everything he's called, uh, created us to be, we have to live that out in the life of being a part of a faith family, in the life of the church. And so the word of God says don't forsake assembling of yourself because in the assembly of believers, we don't just have fellowship with one another. We have fellowship with the Holy Spirit. And so there is more for us that we can encounter together than if we simply try to live this Christian life alone. And of course, last week, Mike uh, brought us a word, encouraged us, encouraged us with the importance of the gifts of the Spirit, and talking about how to flow in the Spirit, how to live this out every day as you're going about your day, and the importance that this is to the Christian life, that we're not just hearing the word, but we're also doing the word. And so I, I know that that was a special word, and it looked like from the video, it was pretty awesome. And, and uh, so um, I just wish we would have been here, but I, I love Mike and his ministry. I appreciate him and uh, in all that he's doing, and my, my prayers have been with him. I mean, can you imagine in Pakistan, a Muslim nation bringing the gospel and revivals breaking out? Like the Spirit of God's falling, and people aren't just getting healed. They're getting gloriously saved. This is going to change the eternity of generations. It's so awesome. And so we appreciate his ministry. But this week today, we are going to talk about staying lit. Staying lit. Somebody say, stay lit. It's not just enough to get lit. You got to stay lit. You got to stay on fire. You got to keep that going. The key ingredient that empowers every element of the flames of revival is what we're going to be looking at today. Before we get into it, I want to talk about the King Solomon. King Solomon was one of the wisest persons to ever live, and he wrote many, many proverbs, many books of wisdom, and he wrote a book called The Song of Solomon that is the single most feared book in all of Christianity. Pastors won't even preach out of it because some of the things in The Song of Solomon can make even the strongest, most stoic man blush. It's juicy. It's racy. It's amazing. It's all about marriage, the marriage between a husband and wife. And so many teachers don't often tap, uh, tackle this book, but in the pages of this book, it's one of the greatest books ever written on romance and marriage and fending the flame of passion in a marriage, how to deal with conflict when it arises, and, and how to have a God-glorifying relationship. But one of the major issues in marriage and one of the key indicators that kind of tells how well the marriage is doing, how healthy or unhealthy a relationship is, according to Dr. Kevin Lehman, an author, speaker, counselor. Um, he's written many books on the subject. In his book, uh, Sheet Music, he says that one of the key indicators of the health of your relationship is the health of your marital intimacy, your physical intimacy. That this intimacy, if it's healthy, it can make your relationship soar. 
If it's unhealthy, it can make your relationship crash and burn. And so what we read about in the pages of the Song of Solomon is this story about two spouses, a husband and a wife, the king and his bride, and how they are rapturously, passionately in love with each other and in constant pursuit of one another. And not just pursuing to, to, to serve, you know, the wife making a sandwich for the, the guy as he kicks up his feet and watches football or anything like that. No, this is pursuing each other romantically and passionately. And the, the cool thing about it is it's not just the man's job to pursue. Because we see a picture in the Bible, the woman also pursuing her husband. In Song of Solomon chapter 1 verse 7, here's what it describes as the, as the woman is pursuing her husband. She says, tell me, my love, where are you leading your flock today? Where will you rest your sheep at noon? For why should I wander like a prostitute among your friends and their flocks? So here's what she's saying. She's like, she's like I want to meet up with you today. I need to know where you are. Because I have a special surprise for you. I have an outfit that's for your eyes only. Your buddies don't need to be seeing what I'm going to be wearing. So when I'm coming for you, I need to know right where you are because I don't want to be caught in public view in this outfit. And you know that he's probably like, you tell me where you want me to be and I will be there. You know that's what's going through his mind. But she's pursuing... Her husband, in Song of Solomon chapter 2, verses 8 through 10, it describes how he is pursuing his wife. In verse 8, he says, it says, Ah, I hear my lover coming. He's leaping over the mountains, bounding over the hills. My lover is like a swift gazelle or a young stag. Look, there he is behind the wall, looking through the window, peering into the room. And my lover said, Rise up, my darling. Come away with me, my fair one. So you can imagine... If he's like a gazelle, if he's like a stag bounding across the mountains, he's doing this with vigorous intent. He's, he's like, this is not just, oh, okay, I guess. You know, he's like, I'm going after this thing today, right? And what I love here is that it says that he is peering at her from behind the wall through the window. He's looking at her into the room through the window. Normally, this is what we call being a creeper. And I just want to tell all the young men in here, it is not okay to be a creeper. You don't be looking at girls through the window or through your phone or your computer screen or your television. It's not okay to be a creeper. But you know what? When you're married, it's not called being a creeper. It's called being biblical. There's a verse. And when you're married, you can be as biblical as you want, and it's okay. Praise God. There's a reason we love the Bible. But this is about a passionate relationship. She's pursuing him, and he's pursuing her. And in this book, there's all sorts of issues. They deal with rejection. One, one day... She goes to pursue her husband, and he's not there. He can't be found, so she's wounded. And a chapter or two later, he comes to pursue her, and she just doesn't have the ambition to get up out of bed, and their relationship suffers. You know, when one spouse stops pursuing the other, 
it can put out the flame of passion in the relationship. When one spouse is constantly pursuing, but the other one isn't pursuing in return, that flame of passion can die. And you know what? We are not just reading a book about a king and his bride. We're reading a metaphor about the king and his bride. And the king is always pursuing his bride. Always. Always after your heart. Matter of fact, in the book of Revelation, as he's talking to these professing believers, he's like, I'm standing at the door knocking. I'm knocking. Why is he knocking? He wants to be let in. And he says, if you let me in, we'll feast together. We'll celebrate together. We'll have a meal together. We'll have fellowship together. Jesus is always in pursuit of your heart. The challenge is, is the bride isn't always in pursuit of the king's heart. And when one spouse stops pursuing, passion can die. It can fizzle out. And this is how you go from being two people in love to being two strangers in a house. Roommates. What happens to the body of Christ when all the people just become roommates with Jesus? The Spirit's with you, right? He comes to live inside of you. But when there's no passion, what happens? See, this is something we have to guard against in this day and age because Jesus said in the last days, love will be harder and harder to come by. In Matthew chapter 24, 10 through 13, Jesus says, in the last days, many will fall away. They'll betray one another and hate one another. Many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will what? It will grow cold. Not the love of some, the love of many. The love of many will grow cold, but yet he says the one who endures to the end will be saved. There is an option. You don't have to be one whose love grows cold. You can be one who endures. You can be one who continues to pursue. In the last days, there'll be many deceivers. There'll be many trying to get your attention and pull your heart every different direction. There'll be a lawlessness, which means immorality will abound. People will know to do good, and they'll do the opposite anyway. They'll call evil good and good evil. This is what is commonplace in the last day. We will be living in an environment that can be easy to get frustrated in because it seems like every time we try to do something good, we're opposed in every side. Anytime we want to stand up for what's right, we're vilified, we're condemned. And it can be easy to grow cold in this day and age because of all the frustration we experience just by trying to do what God has called us to do. And sometimes the battle can wear us out. And it's easy for the love to grow cold. That word lawlessness really simply means without law. Without respect to the Lord. 
But if we let that passion, that fire die, we might still be in the world, but we will isolate ourselves from the world. Why do you think we spend so much time trying to encourage people to share the gospel, to get out and be salt and light? Because the tendency for every believer is to isolate themselves from the world. Well, I can't. I don't want to listen to that music. I don't want to go to those places. I don't want to do all that stuff for fear I might be associated with all this stuff. Okay, don't go there to participate. Go there to change it. You don't got to go to the bar to get drunk. You can go there to win all the drunks. You don't got to go to the club dressed half naked to drop it like it's hot. You can go there to show people that there's an infinite value in them, that they don't have to become something they're not in order to be accepted by people that are just going to reject them anyway. But we isolate. We insulate. And so we don't see much love in the world. In the book of Revelation, Jesus is talking to these seven different churches. One is called Laodicea. And he's rebuking them for becoming lukewarm. They're not hot or cold. They're just lukewarm. When passion dies, it's like becoming lukewarm. And that doesn't minister to the Father's heart. Matter of fact, Jesus said it makes him sick. He's going to spew him out. So you, you look at a, a church of believers who say they worship Jesus, but they don't care one way or another about the things of God, about following God in obedience, about doing what Je things that Jesus has called us to do by being salt and light, getting out of their own bubble to go out into the world and preach the gospel and make disciples and to be on fire, being the, soul, the salt and light of the earth. They don't care one way or another. They think, well, that's somebody else's job. They'll take care of it. We have all we need. We got all the money we need. We don't really have anything to pray for. Our lives are so good that they didn't even care. So why were they getting together? Just to have a social club? Well, that's many Christians today. I need a tribe. Okay, well, this church makes me feel good. I'll go be a part of that church. All the while, their hearts are lukewarm. It grieves the father's heart, much like a lukewarm spouse grieves the heart of the mate who's still trying to pursue and fan the flame of passion. You're the one trying to keep the marriage alive and the other one doesn't care? That's a very abusive and difficult place to be. And yet many believers do this to Jesus. We know Jesus said there are the two greatest commandments. He was asked one day by a teacher of religious law, he's like, Rabbi, tell me what are the two greatest commandments? The two greatest. And Jesus said, the two greatest commandments were to love God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. Love God with all your heart, all your mind, all your strength. That means don't leave anything out. Love him with everything you are. Love him with all of it. I love what Joseph Prince uh, said in his book uh, about right believing. He said that, that command to love God with all your heart, that was from the Old Testament. And the Old Testament was written as a direction on the people loving God with all their heart. All the laws that they had to keep were to help them see whether or not they truly loved God with all their heart or not. And obviously, as we see throughout all the Scripture in our own lives today, it, because of sin, it's really difficult to love God with all of your heart. 
That's why Jesus had to, came, had to come. It's because we can't do it. We've got something in us constantly at war with us giving God all of our heart. So the Old Testament revealed that we can't love God with all of our heart. So what happened? Jesus came in the New Testament. He showed us how to love God with all of our heart. And he shifted the paradigm from us loving God with all of our heart to God showing us how he loves us with all of his heart. That it's now about how much God loves us fully and completely to reconcile us back to him. It's so good. The two greatest commandments, love God with all your heart, but then the second is like to it, love your neighbor as yourself. Love God, but also love your neighbor as yourself. No matter what command, what law, what precept, what, what we read in Scripture, what principle we read about, there is one key to fulfilling everything God would ask you to do or what God desires from you. Paul tells us in Romans chapter 13, beginning in verse 8, he says, Owe no one anything except to love. Somebody say love. Don't owe anyone anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. It's not who is keeping the law. The one who loves one another has fulfilled the law. Fulfilled the whole purpose of the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, don't murder, don't steal, don't covet, or any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Verse 10, love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. What's Paul saying? He's saying, do you know why God said don't kill? Is it because murder is wrong? No. He said, don't kill, because when you murder, you hurt someone else. And hurting them is wrong. Because love does no wrong. Is stealing wrong? Did God say don't steal because he just wanted to come up with another rule? No. Why is stealing wrong? Because stealing harms someone else. And love does no wrong. When you live in love, when you walk in love, it doesn't matter how many commands of God there are. There could be 10 commandments or 10,000 commandments. If you love God with all your heart and you love your neighbor as yourself, you will fulfill everything God has ever asked you to do. You don't even need to know what the commandments are if you're living in love. Because you will naturally not disobey or violate the will and the heart of God. Love always does good. So as we're talking about the flames of revival, we need to capture this revelation that love is what holds it all together. Love is what holds it all together. When you start to lose love, you will start to lose everything else. You'll lose your passion. You'll lose your ambition, your interest you'll start to lose it all. So if we look at what we've talked about these last six weeks, number one, the baptism of the Spirit. The baptism of the Spirit, does it anoint you with power? Yes, it does. But it's not a baptism of power per se. It's a baptism of love. In Romans chapter 5, verse 5, Paul says to the, to the church of Rome, and this hope will not lead to disappointment, for we know how dearly God loves us because he's given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with what? Love. 
So when the Spirit comes upon you, He comes to live inside of you, it's a baptism, not just of power, but it's a baptism of love. That you'd be filled with the love of God. Number two, the Word of God is not just the foundation of our faith. The Word of God is a love letter from God to His people. In Ephesians 4.15, Paul says, We speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ. Do you realize that you could speak the truth and it not be in love? You know, we, we talk all the time about speaking the truth and declaring the truth and praying the truth, quoting Scripture, and, and that there is power in our words. There's power in the Word of God. I believe that with all my heart. Jesus said, remain in the truth and it will set you free. The truth of God, His Word, is the foundation of our faith. We speak it against uh, the powers of darkness. We speak it to break strongholds. We use it in all manner of ways. But it's not enough to simply speak the truth. We have to speak it in love. Do you realize that you can harm someone by speaking the truth? You can wound someone by speaking the truth. Speaking the truth on sour lips is just as harmful as declaring a lie on sweet lips. You can lie to someone to try to protect their feelings. When they find out what the real truth is, you still hurt them. But if you declare the truth and it's not bathed in love, it's bathed in a sour attitude, a prideful attitude, that's just as damaging. Truth only has its intended effect when it's spoken in love. And what's he say? He say, as, as we speak the truth in love, we grow more and more like who? Like Jesus. Like Jesus, who's the head of the body, the church. The heart of God is a heart of love. Why? Because God is love. He is love. And Jesus, who is the word, he is the truth. He is also the love of God manifest on the earth. By this, God has showed how much he loved us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. So Jesus is the truth, but he's also the embodiment of love. And the Father's heart, if we have an encounter with the heart of the Father, it will change your life. An encounter with the Father's heart will change your life. If God's word is a love letter to the world, that when we speak the truth in love, what we're doing is we're revealing the Father's heart to those that we are speaking to. If you think about our world today, there are people that believe a lot of things about God. And a lot of people that think they're doing the right thing by standing and protesting in the name of God. But let me tell you this, beloved. Ain't no one holding a sign that says God hates sinners representing the God of the Bible. God doesn't hate sinners. He died for sinners. God hates sin because of what sin does to sinners. So God doesn't hate sinners. He died for sinners. Will God judge sinners in the end? Yeah. But you know what? God is also saving sinners. Those who repent and turn to Jesus. So if we don't have a lens of love when we're reading Scripture, when we're thinking through the Bible, when we're looking at how to represent Christ, we are missing the boat. We're not even on the same dock. Number three, intimate prayer 
We talked about getting alone with the Lord. Intimate prayer is an act of love. Matthew 6, 6, Jesus said, when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to the Father who sees in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. That secret place is a place of intimacy, where intimate moments can happen. It fuels the intimate connection, the relationship between you and the Lord. The secret place is an intimate place. Number four, we talked about the fellowship of the church. Did you know the fellowship of the church is a culture of love? That's why we say here at Vertical Life Church, we believe in being a church driven by love. Because the culture of a church is a culture of love. Hebrews 10, 24 says, let us consider how to stir up one another to what? To love and good works. So when we gather, when we assemble, we're here to stir up love and good works. John 13, 34 and 35 Jesus said, this is the new commandment I give you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. And by this, somebody say by this. By this, all people will know that you're my disciples. If you what? Have love for one another. If your life doesn't reflect the love of Christ to you as you live and interact with other people, no one's going to know you're a disciple of Christ. Why? Because it stems from love. From the heart of the Father. Well, I can't forgive that person. Did Jesus forgive you? Well, I just don't like that political party. Did Jesus pray for you? Well, I just think, is that what you saw in Jesus? Because that doesn't feel very loving. It feels rather condemning. Well, talk about sin and sin's wrong and sin this. Yeah, sin's a big deal. But what did Jesus do? He gave up his life. Love others the way I have loved you. It might not be your fault, but you can take responsibility for it because that's what Jesus did. He took our sin upon himself, became a sacrifice so that we could be redeemed. You see, the effectiveness of how we fellowship together, how we worship together, the opportunities the Holy Spirit has to, to work and move is often dependent on how much our hearts are involved and how much love is flowing out of them when we gather together. Our love for God and our love for one another. Without love for one another, we'll be lacking the evidence that we even belong to Jesus. In the book of Revelation, and another letter, Jesus is talking to the church of Ephesus, and he tells them, I'm about to take the light of your church out of your church. I'm going to remove you from the place among the other churches. The light represents the power, the representative of the Holy Spirit, the presence of the Lord. I'm going to take it out. Why? Because you've lost your love. And he says, if you want to keep it, go back Repent, go back and do what you did at first, the love that you had for God and for other people. Our fellowship is built around love. Number five, the gifts of the Spirit are God's love languages. They're God's love languages. Paul goes into detail in 1 Corinthians 12 about the different spiritual gifts that the Holy Spirit gives to the church. And then in chapter 14, he goes into detail about how the church should use these gifts when they come together to worship and come together to fellowship. 
And I love how he encourages believers to pursue the gifts. We talked about that last week with, uh, with Mike Benson, to pursue the gifts. Go after the gifts of the Spirit. In 1 Corinthians 12, 31, Paul says you should earnestly desire the most helpful gifts. You should passionately seek the gifts of the Spirit of God. This is the heart every believer should have. But then he says, but now let me show you a way of life that is best of all. So you should do this, but there's something better that I need to show you. The gifts are important. They're vital. They're necessary. But there's something more necessary than simply desiring the spiritual gifts. Are the gifts an evidence of a believer in Christ? Yes, they're one of the evidences. But they're not the only evidence. There is a better way, a better pursuit. In 1 Corinthians 13, beginning in verse 1 through 3, he says, right after he says, there's something better I want to show you. He says, if I could speak all the languages of the earth and of angels, but didn't love other people, I'd be like a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy and understood all God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge and had such faith I could move mountains but didn't love others, I would be nothing. If I gave everything I have to the poor, even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it. But if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. Prophecy and speaking in unknown languages, verse 8, and special knowledge will become useless. There will be a point where the gifts of the Spirit are going to become useless. But love will last forever. It says, now our knowledge is partial and incomplete. The gift of prophecy reveals only a part of the whole picture. And when the time of perfection comes, these partial things will become useless. When I was a child, I spoke and thought and reasoned as a child. But when I grew up, I put away childish things. Now we see things imperfectly, like puzzling reflections in a mirror. But then we will see everything with perfect clarity. All I know now is partial and incomplete. But then I will know everything completely, just as God knows me completely. There's a time we live in right now where the gifts of the Spirit are vital and necessary. They give us glimpses of, of God's goodness. They help reveal God's glory and confirm the message of the gospel. But there's a time coming when there's no need for those anymore because we all have perfect knowledge. We will be completely glorified when Jesus comes back and changes these bodies into the eternal state. We won't need words of prophecy. Why? Because we won't have partial knowledge. We'll have complete and full knowledge. We will know as we have been known. So the gifts of the Spirit are temporary, but they are temporary and remain in place until Jesus returns. And in verse 13, he says, these things will last forever. There are three things that will last beyond the gifts of the Spirit, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest is love. The greatest is love. Have you ever wondered why sandwiched between 1 Corinthians 12, the gifts of the Spirit... In 1 Corinthians 14, how to use the gifts when we gather, there is the marriage chapter in the Bible. All about the love of God. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love keeps no record of wrongs. It's not puffed up. It's not proud. Hopes all things. Endure all things. Bears all things. 1 Corinthians 13 single-handedly has kept Hobby Lobby in business. It has. But why... That chapter between two chapters on the gifts. 
It's because the gifts of the Spirit are the love languages of God. It is how God communicates His love. Many ways He communicates His love to bring His love out of the realm of an idea into a tangible experience so that you can know that you know that you know you are deeply and eternally loved by God. Why does love outlast all the gifts? Because love is the power behind the gifts. If you are trying to minister in the gifts of the Spirit, and love isn't the primary motivator, and the people you're ministering to don't feel incredibly loved by God when you're done, it wasn't the Holy Spirit. There might have been a spirit involved, your spirit or one of those dark little guys, the pitchfork and the horns, performing false signs and wonders as to deceive. But it wasn't the Holy Spirit. Why? Because he's sent to fill our hearts with love. The power behind his gifts are love. The gifts used in pride are not gifts of the Spirit. Why? Because love isn't puffed up. It's not proud. It doesn't boast. It doesn't make a spectacle of itself. Uh, someone operating in the Holy Spirit is not going to make it all about them. Look at my gifts, how mature I am, how, how talented and anointed I am. If you go to a church and everyone's flocking to the minister as the single point to connect with Jesus, there's a problem because they're making it about them and their anointedness and not about the body of Christ. Our job is to equip and train you to do the work of the ministry, not to magnetize everyone to ourselves so that we can do the ministry. It's not the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit's in operation, the minister is humbled that God would use their broken self to help somebody else. My gosh, God, look at my life. It's a wreck, but yet you used me to touch this person. How? Oh my gosh, I just praise you for your goodness. And the person being ministered to says, oh my gosh, God, look at my broken self, that you would love me enough to bring this into my life and touch me in this way. And they love Jesus more and more. The gifts of the Spirit cause a response of love and awe and worship. Without love, the gifts are useless. And they profit nothing. Jesus in Matthew 7 talks about the judgment. He says, one day there are going to be many people that come and stand before me. And they'll say, dude, Jesus you see what I did? I prophesied. I cast out me some devils. We spanked that devil all day long. Spanked that devil. You see all those miracles we did? Using your name? Like we, we said your name and pff, stuff happened. And you know what his response is? I don't know you. Depart. You who work lawlessness. You who work iniquity, you who did not operate out of love, but self-conceit, your own imagination, your own desires, I don't know who you are, because your life and my life don't reflect the same life. They're sent away because they ministered out of pride and arrogance in their own self-interest, to be admired by men rather than give the glory to the Lord Jesus. You see, loving Jesus will lead us to live fully surrendered lives to his lordship. We'll surrender to his will, his plan. We'll surrender to his purposes, 
that we will be his witnesses. He will become our life's pursuit, and truth and love will be evident in our lives because we're living as billboards for the world to see. Loving Jesus will lead us into his word because we're going to want to know everything we can about this God of ours, everything we can discover because he is so good and so awesome that he is our life's pursuit, he is our most holy obsession, and there ain't anything greater than Jesus. When you get a glimpse of glory, everything else darkens and dims. It's like that song, turn your eyes upon Jesus, look into his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim. It does, because nothing is greater than glory. Loving Jesus will lead us to connect with him in times of intimate prayer and worship because we can't get enough of his presence. We're consumed with knowing his heart and sharing our lives with him. Like two lovebirds passionately in love. Remember when you first met that special someone? I remember when my wife and I first met, we were living in different states, and so the only contact we really had, unless I flew up for a, uh, a, um, a holiday or she came down for a holiday, the only contact we had was getting on the phone. And I worked a second shift, and I was working at a, a video store. I was a closing manager, and so I'd get out at like 12 o'clock or something at night, and as soon as I would get home, I would call her on the phone, and we'd talk till like 4 or 5 in the morning because she had a, cl uh, a class at 6 or 7 that she had to be up for the next day. And I'm like, are you sure you don't want to get, you got to wake up and go to sleep? She's like, oh, no, no. And we would talk and talk and talk and talk, and that's all we wanted to do. I wanted to get out of work as fast as possible so I could get home and get on the phone and talk to my soon-to-be bride. And she rejected any inkling of having a good night's sleep so she could talk to her would-be husband. When you are in love with someone, it dominates everything. We will become obsessed in the pursuit with knowing our heart, knowing his heart, and sharing our lives with him. Loving Jesus will cause us to love what he loves, and that's other people. You ever notice that when you're with somebody for a while, you begin to adapt to their likes and their wants? You may be different in almost every way, but as you build a life together, you begin to merge that life. Your friends become their friends. Their friends become your friends. You, what they like to do on the weekend becomes stuff you like to do, and what you like to do becomes stuff that they like to do as your life turns from two to one. And the same is true with Jesus Christ. As we pursue that relationship, what he loves becomes what we love. And the object of his affection is other people. We pursue relationships with other people so that his love can be experienced in our lives and his love can overflow from us into their lives. As we build each other up, encourage each other, and strengthen the family of faith to see God's bride grow to her full glory. That we experience together what can only be experienced together in times of worship, fellowship, prayer, and ministry. Loving Jesus will lead us to pursue the gifts because only God gives good gifts. And these gifts change us. They change us as we get to use them and as we get to experience them. See, at the end of John's gospel, John, actually in John 10, 38, 
he said, Jesus says, if I do this work, if I do his work, believe in the evidence of the miraculous works I've done. If you don't believe what I'm saying, then believe the miraculous works that I've done. So even if you don't believe me, then you'll know and understand that the Father is in me and that I am in him. There are people that did not believe Jesus' own testimony. So he said, if you don't believe what I'm saying, look at what I'm doing. Because what I'm doing testifies of what I'm saying is true. At the end of John's gospel in John chapter 20, here's what John says. He says, the disciples saw Jesus do many other miraculous signs in addition to the ones recorded in this book. Matter of fact, he said, Jesus did so much stuff, the libraries of the world couldn't contain the books. This is just a glimpse, a snapshot of the things Jesus did. But then he says, these are written so you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you'll have life by the power of his name. So talking about the works that Jesus did, do you realize that when miracles happen, when you're walking in the Holy Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit, it's still Jesus doing the work. It's not you. It's Jesus. The disciples saw Jesus do many things. But what is the New Testament? It's the record of testimony of what the disciples saw Jesus do, and they wrote it down to encourage us to do what? To not only continue to believe Jesus is the Messiah, but that we could grow into the fullness of life in him by the power of his name. When you're walking in the gifts of the Holy Spirit, and God is doing miracles in your life, it's still Jesus doing the work, but the miracles are done to encourage your faith and the faith of those around you to continue to grow into everything God created you to be. The power of God released in your life, through your life, builds your faith. It strengthens your belief, which fuels your obedience, which amplifies the experiences you can have with the Lord. Why do we need faith? Because without faith, it's impossible to please God. But he rewards those who diligently are in pursuit of his heart. He rewards us for being in pursuit, diligently seeking. There is a reward or a blessing for the spouse that pursues their spouse. When Solomon's wife was pursuing her husband, there was reward at the end of that. When Solomon was pursuing his wife, there was a reward at the end of that. There is a reward for the child of God that pursues intimacy and relationship in the love and heart of their heavenly father who pursues their groom, the king of kings, through the Holy Spirit. The more faith you walk in, the more you're going to experience, the more you're going to see, which means the more you're going to believe. And because you believe, you will experience firsthand the unconditional, overwhelming love of the Father in your life. And God wants you to experience this grace in your life. He wants you to have moments with him that are undeniable. He wants to show up in your life. Because the more you experience his love, the more love you're going to have to give. The more you experience his love in your own life, the more love you will have to give. In Luke chapter 7, 41 and 42, Jesus is talking to Peter. I believe it's Peter. He says, and he told, tells them a story. A man loaned money to two people, 500 pieces of silver, and one, 50 pieces of silver to the other. 
but neither of them could repay him. So he kindly forgave them both, canceling their debts. And then Jesus asks Simon a question. He says, who do you suppose loved him more after that? They both had debts. Both debts got canceled. And the question is, who loved the man more? And Simon answered, I suppose the one for whom he canceled the larger debt. And Jesus said, that's right. Here's the key. The one who experienced the greater forgiveness had the greatest love. The more revelation of God's love we experience personally, it changes us. The more of his love fills our lives, the more love we will have to give out. The more love we will have to pour out. So when we respond to his love by loving God with all of our hearts, how can we be loving him with all of our hearts if we're still withholding part of our hearts from him? We need a revelation of his love. You see, the command is not just love God with all your hearts, also love other people the way we love ourselves. We get this wrong often by thinking it means love yourself or be in love with yourself. The command isn't be in love with yourself. That's pride. That's arrogance. If you put yourself down and devalue what God's put in you or what God's made in you, that's still pride. And if we're living a life filled with pride, if our hearts are filled with pride, we won't have the capacity to see the gold God has put in other people's hearts because we can't even find it in our own. If we can't see how much God values us, how are we going to see how much he values other people? And this is why his love is so important. This is why we need encounters with his spirit so that we grow in greater revelation of his love so that as we learn how much he loves us, we can love other people the way he's loved us. And this is the nature or essence of the gift of prophecy. 1 Corinthians 14 25, 24 and 25, as the church is gathered together, Paul is instructing them on how to use the gifts of the Spirit. He said, if you're all prophesying and unbelievers or people who don't understand these things come into your meeting, they'll be convicted of sin, judged by what you say, as they listen, their secret thoughts, somebody say secret thoughts, their secret thoughts will be exposed, they'll fall to their knees and worship God, declaring God is truly here among you. So as you're gathering together for worship and everyone's walking in the gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy, he's saying when you are together, you should go after the prophetic gifts because it is like speaking the very words of God to the heart of people. He's saying if someone who doesn't know God or know anything about what's going on in your church comes in and they hear you prophesy, their secret thoughts are going to be exposed. That word secret is the word cryptos or cryptos, which means to be cryptic. Secret feelings, hidden things, or desires. These could be things we've tried to hide from other people, but they could be, and more likely are, by the response, the things that are hidden from ourselves. In the Old Testament, before King Saul became king, he, he was scared, he was afraid, full of anxiety, and Samuel went up to him and says, come back tomorrow, and I will tell you everything that's in your heart. And what was in his heart? That he would be king over Israel. And he anointed him. Sometimes we have been overcome with such criticism and negativity 
that really what's in our heart is the pride that the enemy's been able to well up. So whether we think we're all that in a bucket of chips or we think we're two fries short of a happy meal, pride is the dominating force. And because we're constantly wrestling with pride, we're not able to see ourselves the way God sees us. And it comes against the way we see other people. Because just as we're criticizing us, we look at other people with a critical eye. And it's not love, the lens of love that we're looking to. So here comes the Holy Spirit to fill your heart with the love of God, to anoint you with the gifts of the Spirit so that you can call the gold out of somebody else's life. That you can help them see they were worth every drop of blood Jesus lost on the cross. That he has good plans for them, plans to prosper them, to give them a future and a hope. And when you are speaking that into somebody's life, when you're calling out what God has put in them, that they can't bring themselves to believe, how could they not be in awe of this great and awesome God? How could they not be overwhelmed with the love of the Lord? You see, revival will truly begin. Not when we see a bunch of miracles and gifts of the Spirit flowing. Revival will truly begin when the people of God wake up to the revelation of God's love for them. Their ultimate value as sons and daughters of the King. And their hearts are so filled with passion for Jesus and boldness and confidence in who they are as children of the King that their one aim, their one desire, and their one passion will be to do whatever it takes to help everyone they meet experience the same thing. When we love others, even those who are hard to love, there will be those who may reject us, or say all manner of evil against us, but for love and the glory of Jesus, we still pursue them. Because at the right time, with the right word, or the right action, they can discover God's amazing love for them. See, we talk about things that God has spoken over this church, that he's going to fill this auditorium, and I believe that he's going to do that. Do you believe that? I believe it. doesn't matter how down we are on a holiday weekend. He's going to do it. But spiritual experiences don't draw a crowd. Spiritual experiences may draw a crowd, but love keeps the crowd. Spiritual experiences may draw a crowd, but it's the love of God that will keep the crowd. I've never had a person come to me and say, I came and someone prophesied over me, and so I'm going to become a charter member of your church. But I have people say, I came, I felt so loved, I know where my new spiritual home is. Love is the core. And I can only imagine what might have been different if a believer in Christ filled with the heart and love of God, would have spoken God's heart over the shooter in Uvalde, Texas. What might be different for those 19 children and two teachers? How many opportunities do we miss? Because we're insulated from the world. Our passions, our self, our focus, is internal. This is why it's incumbent upon us, each of us, 
to pursue the heart of God. So you know what? God is gracious, merciful, compassionate, and filled with unfailing love. He knows where we're weak, and he knows what we need to encourage us to keep going. God's not holding our failures over our head. He put all those on the cross so that no matter how many times we fall, we can get back up and keep going. And I just believe that in this time, in this day and age, God is raising up the church, not just this church, but people all over in the body of Christ to discover their calling, discover his heart. And I believe there's something happening, especially with an outpour of the Spirit relating to the gifts of the Spirit. And we've been on this journey for a few years now, and we've been working on uh, preparing uh, to launch a prophetic team, which we did this last National Day of Prayer. And the sole purpose is that we want, when people gather here, is to hear the words of God, that their secret thoughts would be exposed, be so overwhelmed with God's love that they praise God and worship Him, giving Him all the glory. And so, as we seek to be a church driven by love and filled with the Spirit, let's not get the cart before the horse. Let's pursue his heart. And then let's let his heart explode with the gifts of the Spirit. From all of us at Vertical Life Church, we want to say thank you for listening. If this ministry has blessed you in any way, please consider making a tax-deductible donation to www.blchurch.tv forward slash give. Thank you. God bless.